1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 12 to verse 19. And the title, Suffering for Being a Christian. From verse 12 of 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue good. Um, well, last week um, we all sat down as a family to watch a film, I don't know whether you've seen it before, called The Perfect Storm. It's based on a true story about the crew of a fishing vessel from uh, Massachusetts who are out at sea when two weather fronts and a hurricane collide in what is called The Perfect Storm. It's a typical disaster movie, you spend your time building up the scene um, looking at the, the characters, the families, um, before they actually go out on their fishing expedition. They have to cope with various problems. They, they haul up a shark, which uh, manages to bite the legs of one of their crew members. Another guy gets caught up in the, the lines and gets dragged into a sea, and the others just dive in and cut the lines so he's freed. Um, and then the, the storm comes, they're going into the storm, and the boat's being thrown around. And um, it looks like they're getting through it. There's a, there's a glimpse of sun, and you're thinking, great, now they're going to get back, be reunited with their families, and everything will end up well. And then this rogue 60-foot uh, wave comes, they try and go over the top of it, but it breaks on them, uh, the ship capsizes, and they all die. And at that point we're thinking, well hang on, that wasn't meant to happen, this is a, this is a Hollywood movie, you know. Um, we, we want a happy ending. This is George Clooney, the, the captain of the ship. He can't be killed off. Um, who's going to do all those coffee adverts after all? We want a happy ending. And we were caught by surprise. And in our passage this morning, we're told not to be surprised, not to be surprised at when we suffer. Have a look at verse 12 of the passage which read, John, uh, Rob read for us. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Many of us are no longer surprised by suffering. We know that uh, uh, living in a fallen world, we will at some stage suffer. We may lose somebody dear to us. We may suffer illness ourselves. We may have relationship problems, financial worries. We may experience injustice. We know what it is to suffer, although when it comes it may still be a shock to us because we often assume that it, that it won't happen to, to us. Well, the biggest surprise about this passage is it's not talking about suffering from living in a fallen world. It's talking about suffering for being a Christian. And what Peter's saying to the Christians here is just as relevant for them then as it is for us today. 
A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how we, we suffer for, for doing good and uh, how we should respond to injustice and, and unfair treatment. Um, but this passage is picking up that theme and taking it further. The fact that we should expect to suffer simply for being a Christian. Now, the, the degree, the nature of that suffering may they vary according to the, the time, the place that we live in. But the principle is still the same. And we're aware, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, brothers and sisters in many countries of the world who are experiencing serious persecution. We were humbled by the, the testimony of Renee and Simone as they told us about how they endured real hardship in, in North Africa simply for being a Christian. But if we're honest, I think many of us here would say, actually, we don't really know what it's like to suffer for being a Christian. And nor do we really expect to have to suffer for being a Christian. And before we look at the types of suffering that we may experience, it may be useful to, to first ask the question, why is it that we should expect to suffer for being a Christian? Well, I think it goes back to um, chapter 2 of this uh, letter that Peter has written back in verse 11, um, that uh, carries the theme through the whole letter, that we as Christians are aliens and strangers in the world. We are exiles. Because we've been called out of darkness, into his wonderful life. This is not our home. And by world is meant those who do not follow Jesus. In John's Gospel, he opens with the, the words that Jesus came into the world, and yet the world did not know him, it did not receive him. And if we're Christians, our values, sooner or later, will clash with the values of the world, those who do not follow Jesus Christ. We may be like the world on the surface, we may wear the same clothes, we may um, support the same football teams, watch the same films, go to the same pubs. But when it comes to our priorities in life, our goals in life, our understanding of right and wrong, the way we treat other people, sooner or later the differences will come out. It's interesting to remember that um, group who came over last uh, year from uh, Mississippi, in the, in the States, there was an immediate culture crash, clash when they arrived, wasn't it? Do you remember them? It wasn't just the language and the accent. Um, there was a slight difference of clothes they wore. They spoke in a different way. They, they would have eaten different food back at home. They had a different sense of humour. But when you stripped all that cultural stuff away, their values are the same as ours. They knew what it was to be saved by Jesus Christ. Their greatest desire was the same as ours, to, to know Christ and to make him known. At a deeper level, they were one with us. And it's at that deeper level that often the clash will come. Because if we're a Christian and we believe that all people, including ourselves, are sinful, that we're all in need of God's mercy and forgiveness if we're going to spend an eternity with him, then that will clash with someone who thinks, actually, no, if I just carry on being a good person, doing good stuff, surely that's going to get me into heaven. They would not like to think that actually the way they lead their life is wrong. That, um, that maybe it doesn't have a future to know Jesus personally. Now in some cases that clash of beliefs, um, particularly in Muslim countries, can lead to violence, it can lead to death. And we could simply say, well if those Christians in those countries are prepared to put up with that, surely all we need to do here is just man up a bit, isn't it? What are we so worried about? Let's just think about the different types of suffering we may experience in this country because they are still real to us. And even if they seem insignificant, let's um, 
consider them for a moment. And I think the first one of those is, is mockery. Now, mockery is interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I think at the same time, this country has become more secular. It's almost rejected uh, Christianity and Christian values. It's also become supposedly more tolerant. It accepts people who have different views to and beliefs to, to, to myself. And that means I'm not going to mock you to your face but I will do it indirectly. That's okay, isn't it? You'll see comedians on TV, you'll see columnists in their newspapers, uh, teachers in the school having a go at Christianity from a distance. They'll mock the Christian view that this world is created by God. Even if you think about the alternative view that, that this world with all its beauty and detail and precision uh, with human beings who um, have an ability to create and love and feel that all that is simply here by, by chance. Surely that is much more unbelievable. And yet the view that this world is created by God is mocked. And this passage Peter talks about being insulted because of the name of Christ. It's words, but we all know that words can hurt. Worse than that, they can unsettle. They can make you doubt. They can make you question your your own beliefs. And that is Satan's classic tactic, isn't it? Remember the one he used in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say that? You can't possibly believe that. The tactic he continues to use today. And our young people, we need to remember, are particularly vulnerable to that because they may be less confident in, in expressing their views. They like to be in a minority. Even if they know deep down that what they believe in is right continue to pray for them, but pray for each one of us because we're all just as vulnerable in many ways as they are, aren't we? Mockery, discrimination. Inequality is again a big thing these days and it's meant to be illegal to discriminate on the, the grounds of race, religion, sexuality. But what about when those values clash? Where a Christian adoption agency doesn't feel able according to its Christian beliefs, to place a child with a homosexual couple. The law says not that a homosexual couple should have the right to adopt a child um, in general, but from every agency it should be able to go and adopt a child. And so what happens is that discriminates against the Christian agencies which are not able to do that. And so they're forced to close, as we have seen, and ultimately the children lose out. Discrimination is often not just a legal thing. It's often much more subtle than that, isn't it? Particularly in the workplace. I think in every working situation, there will be a temptation to cover up the truth, to probably protect somebody. Um, Maybe a hospital, as we've heard this last week. Falsifying figures. Maybe the police with the whole Pledgate affair. Maybe businesses trying to present their their figures in a better light to shareholders. And you may find yourself in a situation where you are asked, you're expected to, to do something dishonest, where you have to say, actually, no, my Christian conscience prevents me from doing that. And the consequences may be that you are sidelined, maybe you're given the, the duff jobs to do. Worst case, you may even lose your job. It's not just so about honesty and integrity in the workplace. It's often to what extent you demonstrate that you don't live for your work, you live for God. 
that he is uh, number one in your life. This week you may have read the investment bank Goldman Sachs tried to improve the work-life balance of its employees. So it sent a memo around to its employees saying that um, they must leave the office by nine o'clock on Friday evening. And they're not allowed to return until nine o'clock in the morning on Sunday. And by the way, this is expected to check their blackberries while they're out of the office. Employers will push their employees as far as they are willing to go. And we're called to be hardworking, we're called to be conscientious. Of course we are, but at what point are we prepared to say no to unreasonable demands and face the consequences? Are we prepared to suffer in our workplaces for our faith? And the thing is, when we do take a stand against the values of the world, whether it is dishonesty, whether it is uh, false idols, is that although it may lead to difficulty for us, it may lead to possible resentment from others who are trying to discriminate against us, it also leads to respect from others. I think deep down people know that honesty is right, that truth is the right way to go. That treating people fairly is right. That greed is wrong. But many will feel powerless to change themselves or take a stand. And as Christians, we will impact others if we're prepared to do that, if we're prepared to share in the sufferings of Christ. So let's ask ourselves, if we are told in this passage we should expect to suffer as a Christian, that it shouldn't be a surprise, and we find actually we're not really suffering that much, Why is that? Let's ask ourselves why that is. Maybe it is because we're so keen to to fit into the world, to not stand out, that we end up taking the easy way out, we end up compromising our Christian values, just doing what everybody else is doing. Well, the amazing thing about this passage is not just that we should expect to suffer as a Christian, but that we should rejoice in our sufferings. Have a look at verse 13 here. It says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice. And in case you're thinking, well, this is just Paul, you know, or Peter rather, telling the Christians to do that. Surely none of them really rejoiced in them, did they? Let's just turn briefly to, to Acts chapter 5 and uh, look at uh, the situation of the early church. What's happened here is that... Um, Peter and John have been imprisoned. They've been flogged for the terrible crime of healing a cripple. And we're told in verse 41 that after being released, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus Christ. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They knew if they continued to proclaim the gospel, that they would be arrested, they would possibly be killed, and yet they didn't stop. They even rejoiced in it. Why would they do that? Why would we want to do that? Surely it's fine just to believe and and keep quiet about our faith. How can you rejoice in suffering? Well, going back to 1 Peter, this passage I think gives us three reasons um, for doing so. And the first one comes in verse 13. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed 
when his glory is revealed. As Christians, we become united with Christ, united in his death, united in his resurrection, but also in the whole pattern of his life, which includes suffering. And it's an amazing part of God's plan that Christ should suffer for us and by his suffering save us. Have a look back at uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 23. Remind ourselves of these words. When they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We share in his sufferings. Not somehow to contribute to our own salvation. It's not like Christ suffered, we suffer, and through doing our bit of suffering, we're saved. No, we're told Christ died for sins once for all. It was a perfect sacrifice. So we share in his sufferings by following in his steps, following his example, and by pointing to his suffering as the suffering that saves. And as we suffer, it proves to us that we understand why he died. And like the apostles, we can rejoice that we are considered worthy to suffer. It gives us a confidence that we really do belong to Christ. And if we really know that we belong to Christ, that gives us a great joy, an inner joy that as Christ suffered, as he entered the glory of the Father, we too will enter that glory one day. It's that promise of glory that has enabled the martyrs down the, the, the ages to give their lives to Christ. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And as he was about to be stoned, this is what it says in Acts 7. So Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at that point, he was stoned to death and went to glory. We can rejoice in our sufferings because they confirm that we belong to Christ and will one day share in his glory. The second reason we can rejoice in our suffering is that it enables us to experience the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. As Christians, it's not just future glory we look forward to. It's not just that Jesus has gone to heaven and um, has somehow abandoned us and said, we'll see you later, you know, if you, if you make it. Now, before he left, he promised to send his Spirit to be with us. God is with us the whole time through his Spirit. And as we experience his Spirit, we are built up in our faith. And that incident in, that, in Acts that we looked at was Peter and John after they were released. They prayed with the other believers. And what do you think they were praying in that situation? Protect us from further suffering. Don't have to go through that again, surely, Lord. Now, this is what uh, we're told. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God 
boldly. They prayed for courage to speak the word of God boldly, whatever that may entail. Now obviously it's not just when we suffer for being a Christian that we experience the Spirit's strength and comfort. He's there for us through all the suffering of life. But if we haven't experienced that particular blessing and suffering, I'd encourage you to read a book by someone who has. There are many um, books out there. Uh, come have a chat with me. I can recommend some later if you like. Sign up to a Christian agency that supports the persecuted church. Again, there's a number of those. Receive their emails. And just be humbled by what Christians are going through. We can rejoice in suffering because it enables us to experience the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And finally, because it refines us. In case we're in any doubt, Peter is not saying all suffering is right here. If we suffer because of a crime we've committed, of a sin we've committed, then there's nothing blessed about that. We're experiencing the consequence of our actions. But he goes on in verse 16 and 17. Have a look there. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now what is this about, you may ask? Well, sometimes we hear the word judgment and we think um, that's just about condemnation. It's more an evaluation of the innocent and the guilty, the good and the bad. It's not just about a final verdict. It's also about a process of making good. And if you go back to verse 12, you remember there, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. In the new NIV it translates it, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Fiery ordeal. Fiery. Fire has the quality of refining used to refine silver and gold to rid them of impurities. And in the same way it's used to purify and strengthen Christians, to, to rid us of our impurities. And so the readers of this letter are encouraged to see God's good purposes behind what they are going through. That they are designed to help them grow stronger in their faith and give more glory to God. And so as we put our trust in Jesus, we are freed from the, the guilt and the punishment of sin through his suffering and death. But we know we're not yet freed from the presence of sin, don't we? But God has promised that he will destroy sin from his new creation. And for us to be tested and purified in this life is to, to know that he's begun that work of renewal in us already. as we come to an end, it's very appropriate that we do share in communion this morning as we symbolically share in the sufferings of Christ. Let me leave you with a question. If you are a, a Christian this morning, what is it you pray for most? That God would end your suffering? That he would protect you from suffering as a Christian? Or that he will give you the strength to endure suffering knowing that it is refining you, knowing that it is making you more like Jesus. As Christians, uh, in our own lives and as a church together, if we carry on putting Christ first in our lives, proclaiming the gospel, we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. And it may come in different forms. It may come through uh, 
harassment from, from people we live next to, others in the community. But when it does come, whether it's for us as individuals or as a church, we'll be faced with a choice. Do we go the easy way and end up dishonouring God? Or do we stand by the one we believe in, the one who has always stood by us? Look at verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We will have time around the Lord's table to reflect on areas quietly and privately in our own lives where we may have been tempted to compromise our faith and to be able to ask forgiveness for that. To also ask for courage for the future. We are going to be receiving Martin and Kathy into membership as well, just beforehand. And, and in itself, that is a declaration that they are prepared to stand with us together as we commit ourselves to our faithful creator. And if you are somebody here who's not yet a Christian, I do hope this morning you would have appreciated that becoming a Christian is not something easy. It is about a commitment to Christ that involves hardship. But it also involves a deep joy, involves a deep peace, involves knowing that you are right with the creator God who made you. It's a relationship that you can enjoy with him forever. There's nothing that can compare with that. 2 Corinthians 4 sums it up. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Amen.